You are listening to John Castile's Conscience Sermon from the 6 p.m. service recorded on December 13th, 1987. There are several other miraculous things that have happened that are right now in the process of documentation so that we can be sure that they are in fact miracles that of God's grace and that they have time to prove themselves out. But we are seeing the Lord answering our prayers. Now, we still don't understand how and why they're all happening, but we know that if we ask, and we know that if we cry out to the Lord, and if we make it a matter of prayer, the Lord will continue to do this. But He'll move in supernatural ways. There are some situations that we face that really need God's touch, that, that are impossible without the Lord's touch. And we have a Lord who is willing to touch us. And so let's learn how to seek Him. Let's get closer to Him. I am going to ask you as a body to make it a constant thing of praying that the Lord will move in healing in our midst. Would you do that? Just make it a constant request unto the Lord. We have some special guests with you. I won't ask them to speak or say anything at this time. But I would like to introduce to you both Harry and Joyce Roberts, pastors from Canada that are vacationing in our country and are going to be fellowshipping with us. Harry and Joyce, would you stand and can we welcome them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Harry and Joyce have served as missionaries in Africa and uh, have pastored a, a church in Canada and are just waiting upon the Lord now to kind of get refreshed in their hearts and spirits and they came down to our beautiful weather uh, to get away from the snow. <laughs> and uh, uh, one thing about our snowstorms is they don't last very long and uh, make it nice. Are you happy in Jesus tonight? Yes. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go through some scriptures very, very quickly. And as we talk about this issue of conscience... Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to uh, just give us strength to understand. I'd like for us to especially lift up uh, Susan Pike. I'd like us to lift up uh, Janet Seeley, who is uh, just in such last stages of cancer that she's just waiting to go with the beautiful Lord. I'd like you to lift up uh, Cynthia Seaver, who is with her father back in, I believe, in Florida or North Carolina tonight. And uh, let's just lift these needs to the Lord. Father, we bring these special requests unto Thee. We ask, Lord, that You'd move by Your Spirit in each case, that You'd comfort Susan, Lord, tonight. Let Your Holy Spirit come and bring blessing to them. Lord, we pray for Janet Seeley. We lift her to Thee especially, Lord that you'd touch her life. We lift Cynthia tonight as she ministers comfort to her family in Jesus' precious name. Now, Lord, we come to you and we approach your throne asking that you would cause your word, Lord, your precious holy word, to become alive to us, to teach us, to open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Three times in our study of 1 Peter, we encountered the importance of what we call conscience. In 1 Peter 2, verse 19, it says, 
For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Or as the NI King James says, for in conscience to God. 1 Peter 3.16 says, But do this with gentleness. Talking about sharing your faith. <clears throat> do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In verse 21 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter, it says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Each of these uses the term in a little different light than what the other does. Paul, the apostle, also speaks often about conscience. In fact, Paul speaks most. He's the most prolific writer that we have in New Testament scripture. So we know it is something, the conscience is something of, it, of importance for us to know more about. When writing to Timothy, if you'll turn over to the book of 1 Timothy, uh, we'll look at several occasions of him writing about conscience. In verse 5 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, it says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience... And sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. And so Paul says that many Christian experiences of his day had become empty talking, empty religious rhetoric, if you please, because the individual had turned from love that came from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith. If you look in his writings uh, in verse 18 and verse 19 of uh, the same chapter. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Again, he's saying that many people ended up in shipwreck in their walk with God because they did not hold to faith and a good conscience. Again, keeping our life directed and victorious seems to include a conscience or that is good before God. The requirements for deacon's ministry in chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul requires that those who serve as deacons or official servants of the body much like we would call our ministering servants at Grace Chapel, our watch care leaders and the officials over the various areas of ministry, including the pastorate. It says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now notice, they must know the faith and they must understand the Word of God, but they must do this on the basis of a clear conscience. It's no good to have the understanding of God if your conscience is not clear. Now Paul ends his inclusion of conscience with the insight that false teachers operate with a damaged conscience in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 2. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In other words, Paul is saying that there will be people that will leave the true message of the gospel and will follow teachings that come from demonic sources Many times they themselves will hear the demonic. Other times they will just follow the teachings of the demons. He says in verse 2, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences 
have been seared as with a hot iron. Now notice the various kinds of conscience. We have good conscience. Now we have clear conscience. And now we have a seared conscience. And those who uh, bring in these heresies or these wrong teachings are those who have seared consciences. And he says, seared as with a hot iron. In Titus chapter 1 verse 15, he talks about the characteristics that go along with people that uh, are having problems with their, with their teachings. He says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Isn't it amazing how some people can see evil in everything? And everything they do, a good thing, can become an evil thing. The Bible says these kinds of people uh, have both their minds and their consciences corrupted. So now we add to the good conscience, the clean conscience, and a seared conscience, a corrupted conscience. Paul explains his own tem- testimony in uh, 2 Timothy chapters 1 and verse 3. I thank God, he said, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Again, in Acts 23 and verse 1, we find when Paul was giving an answer to the Sanhedrin who rejected his message and who rejected his experience with the Lord. There were people that thought that he was an heretic and thought that he was worthy of death. And so he explains how that the Lord came to him in Damascus and illumined to him and spoke to him and set him on this way. And so he says in verse 1, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. It was important to Paul how his conscience was. In chapter 24, verse 16, we find him saying the same thing before the king and his guests. We're now... He's passed on to the king and he's giving his response to him. He says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. The King James says, A conscience void of offense before man and God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul again speaks about this. He says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. So Paul didn't just talk about having a good conscience once or twice, but as an ongoing exercise or activity that he dealt with his conscience and kept it clear and holy and open before God. Now, if we'll read Acts 24, verse 1 in the King James Version... It says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. What kind of exercise did Paul do to keep his conscience clear? I believe the scripture gives us understanding towards that. But whatever it was, it it resulted in a clear conscience in two levels. One toward God and one toward man. Now, one of the problems that we have today when people come to the Lord is that many times they clear their conscience before God and then try to go on with ministry and relationships while their conscience is not clear towards people. Now, before we get into clearing our conscience towards people, we have to be careful about one of the issues of conscience. 
And that is that we can't let Satan come around now from the other side and bring us into condemnation about trying to be at peace with everyone, especially those who don't want to be at peace with those who are going to walk with God. If there's one thing that the Scripture does not tell us, it does not instruct us to go out and try to make amends to those who oppose the gospel or who oppose and who maliciously lie about those who walk with God. In fact, we don't find Jesus ever following the Pharisees after one of his messages and saying, Dear fellows, can we settle our problems? Because he knew that anyone who took spiritual leadership would have problems. But he's not talking about that. He's not talking about problems that you have because you live righteously. He's talking about the times that you and I make mistakes and have issues that are unsettled between us and God and us and people. Now, just as you know that when you regard sin in your heart and you don't cleanse it, the Scripture says God will not hear you, even so it is with people that we have, uh, when we come to the Lord, sometimes our prayers are not heard because of issues that are unsettled still with people. John the Baptist talked about repentance, and he said that we should do works meet for repentance. True repentance will bring a cleansing and a clearing of our hearts before God. I'd like for you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3 through 4, probably one of the most powerful uh, times and displays of a righteous man and his conscience before God and before the people. Samuel had served the people for many years. He had been a righteous man. He had been the one who had followed the Lord and been their judge. And now as he sets up Saul to be king, and he ordains him and anoints him, Samuel realizes that his ministry now is going into a time of, of uh, well, it's ended. And he takes on a new dimension in the kingdom. And so he stands. Verse 1 of chapter 12, Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Listen to this. This is the kind of leadership we need in the church today. Leaders who can stand before the people and say, Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these... I will make it right. The people responded and they said in verse 4, You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Isn't that a precious thing? This man would serve all his life could stand before the people and say, Whom have I wronged? Whom have I oppressed? Whom have I taken anything from? If there is anything, let's clear it up now before I leave this office. Let's get it right before us and before God. And the people could respond with one heart. You have never taken anything of ours. You've never oppressed us. We have no fault in you. 
he says, let God be our witness. And he left his ministry in the kind of clarity and cleansing that would instill the fear of God in the people of God. I believe conscience is something that is extremely important to us today. In our studies of psychology, we find that people in our generation, because of the way we live, have a tremendous problem with conscience. And so, because men have rejected God from their knowledge, they don't see the sovereignty of God in putting within us an understanding of right and wrong. I'm amazed at how much conscience enters into people's judgment. You talk to many people that are not even in the church, and they all can condemn a Jim and Tammy for their activities because somehow in them they know what a person who walks with God ought to be. Even though they might be involved in much the same kinds of things, there is a condemnation that comes up out of people because there is a conscience that God has placed in all of us. Now, what do you do with a conscience when it's violated? Many people try to change the rules so that the conscience will reinterpret the rules. People that want to live in immorality, when their conscience begins to bother them, they have to go through a new teaching that will justify the immorality, or else pretty soon their conscience will give them such a problem that they'll sense a guilt, and that guilt will affect them in most of the things they do. And so psychologists today that leave God out of their thinking think that conscience is a problem and that if we just didn't have this conscience that was given to us by strict parents or by some religious idea, that we would be much better adjusted and we'd be better people. Now, one of the problems is today, as, as these diseases of immorality and all of these things begin to come up, people are questioning again whether or not this attitude of permissiveness was right in the first place. Well, those of us who study the Word know that God has placed some basic rules in the universe, and there isn't much you can do about it. You can, as Paul did, you can kick against the pricks, you can fly in the face of God, but the only one that gets hurt is you. And so our conscience is something that is very valuable from God. It is the light of the Lord. The Bible calls it the candle of the Lord, the spirit of the man who knows. Uh, in Second, First Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, it talks about a man knows, uh, no one knows a man except the spirit of a man who is in him. Each one of us know ourselves. And that's what the word conscience means. What I know about me. Con with science, what I know about myself. And this is why conscience is such a valuable thing for us. When we come to the Lord, Hebrews tells us that he purges our conscience from dead works and enables us to serve the living God. Now what that means, it's not the healing of memories that some people are looking at today, but what it means is that God, by his Spirit, forgives and cleanses our past sins and lifts the guilt off of us, and now we can live without those things on our conscience. And that conscience is purged. Most of us have forgotten our past sins, don't, haven't we? It, it, those things that we used to be involved in seem more like a, a, a bad dream. They seem like unreal to our lives. How could we ever have gotten into those things, sometimes we think, because of the powerful work of the Lord upon our heart in purging our conscience. Another thing the Lord does is he reactivates our conscience. 
he uh, touches it and he rebuilds it in us so that it can become a good conscience again. However, we can sear our conscience or we can make it calloused by refusing to obey until finally it will not speak to us on those particular things again. And I find from time to time Christians that uh, have a seared conscience in certain areas of their life and no matter how much you talk to them, they just can't hear what you're saying about their offense. So Paul felt that his conscience was of utmost importance to him, so then he exercised himself. He strove, as the NIV says, to always have this conscience without offense. Now, how do we do this in our daily walk with God? I believe the way we do it is by facing conscience and by also not just facing it, but doing something about it. I've found that I can usually depend upon my conscience to speak to me accurately. And many times I will take what my conscience tells me and I'll bring it before the Lord and I'll ask Him about this issue. Now, what am I speaking of? For you to be most effective, as, as, a, as effective as God wants you to be as a Christian, we need to have an, an ever broader scope of influence with people and with God. And so we have what I would call the scope of our influence. Let me put it on me, for example. If I've done somebody wrong, there, there's a, a person in our city that really doesn't like me. I mean, I'm sure you're surprised. Okay. But unlike some of the other people that don't like me, this fellow was working on the floor of this church. Now, I'm not a builder. And uh, I've been told that uh, as a builder or writer or drawer or architect, I'm a good pastor. Now, that's a fine way of saying, stay out of that stuff, John. That's what some of the elders have told me. When we built this building, we were trying to save the Lord's money. And so we bought one of the package deals. This is a butler building. It's a steel warehouse building. That's all this is. And we put bricks around it for a little bit more money to make it a little nicer. And then in the middle of it, while it was being built, uh, our brother Jack DeBartolo in his office came in and arranged the floor and the ceiling and all this to make it into really quite a nice place. But while this was building, there were some things that happened in the building that I didn't know whether they were good or bad. You know, somebody pours a floor and it looks good to me. I'm just so anxious to have a floor. And somebody does some ceiling work and I don't know. But it wasn't my job to come in and tell the builders if they did things right or wrong or so forth. And I'd just come over here to pray and to see. And I was nosy and liked to know what was going on. And they would talk to me. Somehow, out of me being nice to the builders and trying to be around here, one of them got the idea that I had approved some work Okay, that I don't have any knowledge to approve or disapprove. And when the people in charge of the building came back and made him do the work over... He said that I had told him how to do this. Now, first of all, I don't know what to tell him. And if I did say it, I didn't know I was saying it. Okay? You follow what I'm saying? Now, the problem I have is no matter wherever I meet this person, wherever he has any influence at all in the city, he always brings up to the people how much I lied in the building of this church. Now, see, what happened is... Whatever went on between us that was unreconciled has damaged 
so that I have no ministry with that person. If he came in here and his family, he couldn't hear the word from me because he's damaged. Did you know this is the reason that many family members don't come to God? Because of things that we have done that we've never made right. And one of the reasons that we don't feel free to talk to them about the Lord is because our conscience tells us there's something yet to be settled. Now, it's extremely important for a Christian to reach his full effectiveness to deal with conscience. Some of us have parents that we haven't done right to. And when we came to the Lord, we didn't make it right still. I can remember when many young people came to the Lord, they used the church services to rebel against their parents. They counseled to try to leave their parents on the basis of them not being Christians. I can remember times when people would come in and and they're having marriage problems. And one of the first things I want to do is find out how are you related to your parents. Because the scripture says, obey your parents, first of all, in Ephesians 6, and honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. And we find out that many people are having trouble in their life and they don't know why. And it's because they haven't honored or obeyed their parents. And so there is a damaged conscience here that when you talk with them about that, there will be extreme justifications. Are you okay with your family? And rather than saying, well, I'm not sure or I'll pray about it, there's immediately a great defense mechanism that goes up to try to justify whatever was there. It's like sticking your finger in a sore because the conscience is still carrying this offense. Now the problem with that is that when you go into the Bible and when we get into talking about relationships with God and talk about fearing the Lord or walking with Jesus in any way, we understand that one of the most important ingredients in your walk with God is prayer. And the Bible says, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence. So it's extremely important that we learn how to go back and repair our consciences. How do you do it? Probably one of the greatest conscience-cleansing stories we have is the story of the prodigal son and his father. This prodigal son had broken every covenant he could break. I mean, it was bad. Luke chapter 15 tells the story. It said that he took his inheritance. Number one, he left the family, left his position, took his inheritance outside the boundaries that God had given them because they were a farming community. Then he took it outside of Israel, went into a far country. He broke the covenant of family. He broke the covenant with God. He broke the covenant with his nation. And then he wasted it on riotous living. He broke the covenant of his own heart and walk with God. And he wasted it. And then... Rather than coming back then, he went and he became the servant of a foreign person in a foreign city. And he broke further the covenant, began to feed pigs. There was very little hope for him to come back. How would he face all of these problems? The Bible tells us how he did it. He said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And so we find him making up an approach to his father. I want you to notice what he did. 
And in all of the times of repentance that we find in the Bible where consciences are healed again by the activity of repentance, we find never do we go into the details, never do we put guilt on the other person, never, never, ever do we just go to God and not the people, but we go to everybody that is touched by our sin. I found that when I am dealing with a sin, I shouldn't deal with the action that I did, but the spirit behind it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. The spiritual side of it. He didn't have to go into what he did. Sometimes when you begin to tell people what you did, I've tried to clear my conscience this way. Marguerite, I know I'm not all at fault with this, and I know you have your side of it, But when I replied to you after you said this, how many of you know the argument is going to continue? How many of you know that's going to happen? But what a difference when she comes to me and says, John, my attitude was really bad today. Will you forgive me? See, you don't have to mention all the things that were said and done. We're talking about the spirit that was behind it that caused the problem. And we bring that to them. And we just say, will you forgive me? Now the ball's in the other court. Now you've cleansed your conscience. The spiritual sin. Notice in Psalm 51, when David had been caught with Bathsheba. And not only had he been caught with Bathsheba, the prophet had caught him. God had spoken to him and great, great judgment was about to fall upon Israel as a nation. David knew that he must make it right. And so he called out to the Lord. And he wrote this psalm, and he had this psalm sung publicly. Because his his sin, even though it was a personal sin, because of his position, it wasn't just a mistake. Because of his position, it reached and touched the whole nation. He was their king. He was their authority. And now they would have to suffer, pardon me, because of his sin. And so David writes this psalm, Psalm 51. Turn over there if you would. And let's read a little bit of it together so you can see how clear he is. And yet he doesn't bring reproach upon Bathsheba. He doesn't place blame on anybody else. He mentions the sin, but he mentions it in such a way that is proper and and deals with it fully, but doesn't go into gory details or bring things up that could further the problem. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, this is what a conscience does. It will hold it there. It will hold your sin before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Clean me with hyssop and I will be clean. He's talking about the little plant with which they painted the blood upon the doorstep in the Passover. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt. You see, he had sinned morally and also by condemning a a guiltless man to death, her husband. And he called it blood guiltiness. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Now what I'd like you to see is that he went on down and says, you don't delight in sacrifices or I would offer them. What you delight in is an open and a contrite heart. But you see what David did is he confessed and made it right in such a way as the sin was talked about, it was dealt with. His repentance was full. There was no justification. There was no trying to get out of it, no blame placing, but simply a facing of his problem before everyone. This is why God could continue to use him is because he was this kind of a man. Wouldn't it be great if our presidents and our people today, when they were caught in something, would simply say, God, help me. And people, forgive me. Well, there is the scope of our conscience. It's between God and man. But it's very important to clean it up with people also. Probably... If you're taking notes, let me suggest some areas for you to lay before the Lord for things that you need to clear up. If you've never done this, it's an exercise and it's a powerful one. First of all, there are many times that I come before the Lord and I just say, Lord, I open my heart to you for you to speak to me. And just let him speak to you. Why is it that it's so hard for us to repent? I think it's because we don't like to get caught. But you know you're already caught. (laughs) Boy, it's quiet in here. Why are you so nervous? Am I getting close to you tonight? (laughs) Is it the cold weather? What's going on? I think it's the subject. Well, listen to me just a minute. Many people would be afraid to throw their life open to God. But you see, your life is already open to God. It already is. You came to the Lord and He removed your sin and He removed your iniquities. And obviously there are going to be things in your life. At at any given time, there are probably so many things in our life that are wrong. But you see, the Lord knows how to bring things to points of issue, one at a time, in the right way. One time I was talking to the Lord about this. I was talking to Him about counseling. And I saw sin and, and, and problems in people's lives were much like a beaver dam that uh, one problem laid across the stream of the grace of God would accumulate other things and Satan would come and he'd begin to pack these things until the water was now stagnant and not running and it was a a mess and it was smelly. And we look at the beaver dam and we think it needs a piece of dynamite and it doesn't. God knows how to remove just one piece and let it all flow. And so that's when we come to the Lord and we find ourselves all stopped up and not flowing. We can come to the Lord and we just open our hearts to Him and He'll find one issue or two issues. Obviously there's more than that. But He'll find the key issues and He'll put His hand on them and then you'll find that the Holy Spirit will flow again and you'll be filled with the Lord. And rather than have to have God chase you down and trap you and make you fess up, (laughs) how much more wonderful would it be if you learn just to come to Him on a regular basis? And lay your heart open. 
Is that a new idea for some of you? I hope it's not. But it's a wonderful thing to do. And secondly then, is probably yearly or so, we need to exercise ourselves in making sure that we're, our conscience is clean with our family. How many times do fathers and mothers have problems leading their children to the Lord because of something that is still between you that needs to be rectified? Sometimes it's hard for young people to come to their parents because of a guilty conscience. And that guilty conscience doesn't need to weigh heavily on you. It can be dealt with if we just know how to come and bring it. Bad attitude, sinful attitude, irritability, whatever we want to call it. But we can bring it and just name it and say, I recognize that this is breaking our relationship. Will you forgive me? We also have uh, relatives and employers and teachers and former friends and others that weigh upon our conscience when we start looking at them. And I've found that the best way to do it is to pray and ask the Lord to help me deal with them. Um, we did a, a discipleship class a few years ago and we brought from the uh, basic youth conflicts course some reasons about for not clearing our conscience that most of us keep. Now, I truly believe that most full gospel, spirit-filled people cannot follow the Spirit and do not hear Him because of a damaged conscience. Most of the people that cannot follow the Spirit and are not sensitive to His voice, it's because normally they have not cleansed their conscience. Because once that conscience is clear, there is a certain uh, a boldness that comes into you in your relationship with God and a certain trust in the Lord that is a very precious thing to have. So let me, let, let me encourage you to consider cleansing your conscience, going through an exercise of prayer, and uh, carefully going through the people that you've had major encounters of offense with over the past years, and bringing them up, and asking the Lord on each one of them. Take and write it down, and ask the Lord on each one what you should do, whether that's something that you should go back to them or not. Let me... Uh, go through some of these reasonings against the clearing of conscience that we usually hear. Well, you talk to a person about something that happened that they did wrong, and they said, well, it happened so long ago, so I don't clear it up. But you see, if the conscience still has hold of it, it didn't happen too long ago. It needs to be dealt with. No matter how long ago it was, if it's still active in your conscience, it needs to be dealt with. The one I live, no, the one I wrong no longer lives here is another one. Well, so call them on the phone. It only takes two or three dollars to call any place in the United States after a certain hour. And two or three dollars spent on a phone call is small price to pay for a cleansed conscience before God. Well, it wasn't a very big offense is another one that we hear quite often. Well, if it wasn't so big, why are you still wearing it? Why is it still bothering you? But we no longer are having difficulty. Often the softening and renewing of relationship is God's way of preparing for the cleansing of conscience. Don't continue to carry it even if you are in relationship again. Go and make your heart right. No one is perfect. We can carry this thing too far. That's another thing we hear. That's true. 
So we must be sure that this is not an attempt to lower our standards, but instead just to make sure that we're not getting out of balance. This is why when things bother my conscience, I take them to the Lord and ask for His wisdom on what to do about them. Because many times I don't know if this is something I should take back to them or just be with the Lord. And usually if I'll take and bring it to the Lord, if I'm not to take it back, it won't, it'll go out of my conscience. But if it doesn't go out of my conscience and it stays there and it's back in there a week or so later, I know I should go to them. Just because the Holy Spirit is faithful to keep it there until the thing is entirely healed. The other party will not understand is another thing that people say. They probably understand more than you think. And who cares if they don't understand? We've had times when some young person or even some older person has stolen something or taken money from a job or an employer, has not paid their taxes, and they've gone back out of conscience and saying, I want to do this. And to their amazement, the unbelieving person understood a lot better than they thought they did. In fact, it was a real testimony that there was some reality in the life because they were willing to, as John the Baptist said, do works meet for repentance. One of the most difficult ones is correcting this will take money that I don't have. And one of the most powerful answers I've ever heard for this is it's better to owe money than have a soiled conscience. Probably the most consistent one is later. I'll do this later. (laughs) Any of you ever say later? (laughs) At a more convenient time. So we find that procrastination, that spirit of procrastination even goes into a longer procrastination. Putting things off is probably why it's still not solved. It's probably because you already did that. Procrastination is the greatest hindrance to the things of God. It is the hardest kind of disobedience to deal with. One of the hardest disobediences in my children is procrastination. I will, Daddy. Did you ever tell your Daddy and Mommy that? I will. But never getting around to it. Another one is if I confess, it will get others in trouble. No, you can, you can confess in such a way as it won't get people in trouble. Here are some wrong approaches to people. I was wrong, but you were too. I'm sorry about this, but it wasn't all my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is probably... It's it's a good intention, but it's not enough. You see, what you're seeking in a clean conscience is release. Being sorry has not released you. You need forgiveness from the other person for the release. You follow what I'm saying? Saying, I'm sorry for that... It's good that you're sorry, but it's not enough to be sorry. You need to be forgiven. And so you need to know what to ask for. And so some people don't like to say, forgive me, because they don't want to humble themselves in the other person's sight. And that's a a vestige of pride. And so when we've done wrong, we need to come back, name our sin, and say, please forgive me. Now, if the person doesn't forgive you, at least you've asked for it. Even if you say, please forgive me, it doesn't quite cut it because the person doesn't have to respond. Get a response from them. Try your best to get a response from people that you're getting right to. 
The right approach would be, I realize that I have been wrong with you in my attitude, what I've done, my actions. Will you please forgive me? And that is so simple. And yet it just absolutely cleanses the conscience. Here's some cautions. The circle of the confession should only be as wide as the circle of the offense. Uh, There are times when people will want to, they feel so bad about a sin that they'll want to come and confess publicly to the church. And I'll say to them, well, did you harm all those people? And they'll say, no. Well, then let's don't talk to them about it. Okay? It should only be as big as the offense is. God and the individual, or maybe God and the family, or maybe God and the class, or maybe God and the group. For example, in elders... When an elder sins, 1 Timothy 5 tells us to rebuke them before all so that all may fear. Now, obviously, he's not telling us to bring every problem of the elder before the whole church. But to rebuke them before all must be the elders because they sinned against that elder commitment. And then as we communicate it to others, when it goes beyond these roles, uh, for example, a, a senior pastor, of course, his sin would hinder the entire church, so we would need to bring it to that church. But make sure that the circle of confession and correction does not exceed that circle of offense. The one who has been offended most should be approached first. Avoid details by naming the offense. Realize the one who forgives you may be left with guilt. Realize that maybe they're going to have to get something right. But give them a chance to do it. Be as brief and clear as possible. And don't involve other people in your confession. Clear your conscience as soon as possible. And don't attempt to combine witnessing with restitution. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We're running out of time. We have some more things to go through with this, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring to us a refreshing as we talk to him about walking in the Spirit, about hearing from God, about opening to his word, we can't do those things over the top of a conscience that has offense in it. Love must come out of a pure heart and a clear conscience. Unfeigned faith. Those three go together. Would you stand? Pray with me about your own situation. How many of you will just throw your heart open to the Lord? Let him deal with you. Father, you see our hands as we open our hearts to you, Lord, to begin a process of cleansing and renewing of our conscience. Lord, let us turn from the ways of the world that look at a conscience as something that hinders and troubles us and gives us problems. Instead, Lord, let us come back to causing it to live again and to be alive in us as your lamp, as your tool to lead us and to teach us and to guide us. And Lord, as we open our hearts to you, give us wisdom on how to deal with each occasion, with each offense. Give us wisdom, Lord, on how to clear our conscience again. We pray, Father, that you'll that you'll purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.
In Jesus' name. Lord, let there be right relationships between us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from all of these harmful influences of our past failures by directing us again in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Those of you who want to come and pray, make your way down and just spend some time before the Lord. The rest, God bless you. Be dismissed in His name.